Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The plans are afoot, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but it is a very familiar story, isn't it? Aside from the rather bizarre intervention of Nicky Minaj and Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty's response, we are back to square one, aren't we? Listening to those bungling sage numpties who want to warn of impending doom and gloom all over the place. Winter is coming, declared the Prime Minister. 7,000 people a day in hospital, they cry. More restrictions are required, they say. We must act now. We must save Christmas. We must save the NHS. We might make masks mandatory again. We might be in trouble. We must follow the signs. Blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all before, haven't we? And we're not buying it this time. Up first this morning, we'll be getting the real story from Jamie Jenkins, our favourite statistician, who will reveal that the modellers are way off, as usual. Even at the height of the corona pandemic in January, there were only 4,000 a day in hospitals. These people are now predicting we're going to have 7,000. Where the hell are they getting that from? Then we'll get the view from Man on Sunday columnist Dan Hodges, who promised all this would be over by July. Yes, that's right. That's last July. Does he still think we're out of the woods? We'll find out. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, there's a lot going on elsewhere this morning. Those insulate Britain morons are back blockading the M25 again, trying to get everyone's loft lagged. And ISIS bride Shemima Begum has popped up yet again, this time in a TV interview from a refugee camp in Syria, claiming she didn't mean to offend anyone, and she just thought she was joining a Muslim religious community. She was having hair and makeup done as well, by the way, so she doesn't look terribly desperate. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. We'll be checking in with terrorist expert Dr. Paul Stott from Policy Exchange. Tonya Buxton is here as well. She's going to have a lot to say about Chris Whitty's decision to vaccinate 12 and 15-year-olds in school, whether their parents like it or not. And against the advice of the JCVI, she's also not happy about Boris's Plan A or Plan B. And who can blame her? And it's Prime Minister's questions too. We'll be watching in the company of former Downing Street advisor Peter Cardwell. And in the background, there are rumours and murmurs. And I can say this with quite a good degree of, uh, shall we say, surety. There might be a reshuffle coming this afternoon. That's right. Some people might be getting fired. 0344 499 1000. Maybe you can start with Chris Whitty. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. There's lots to explore and discuss. And we need to hear what you're hearing and what you are thinking. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And we're going to sort that music out later on as well because uh, I've been having words, I can tell you, with some people. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know about that a bit later on. Let's kick things off, though, with Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician and political commentator, formerly, of course, from the Office of National Statistics. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I think we need to start a campaign to get you uh, asking some of the questions of these briefings. I think Robert, Pe- Robert Peston's already asking for more uh, restrictions. I mean, I don't understand why they keep asking such useless questions. I mean, you know, you had already said yesterday um, that you didn't believe the number, the 7,000 number. Nobody seems to bother asking about where it's coming from. No, well, maybe we start with our 7,000 number, Mike. So it comes again from another one of these models being used by people linked in, in with the SAGE crew. Now, I've looked at the paper. One of the things the paper does point out, it says it's possible, but extremely unlikely. Yeah. But it's that number then is turned up on the front of the Guardian this morning. And, and, and it's just it's just shambolic, really, to be honest, Mike. So let me just break it down. Now. Yes. The, the maximum we saw in January was 4,000 hospitalizations a day. And that's England only. So the numbers we're talking about are England only. Yeah. And what that came from, Mike, was about 69,000 cases a week before. Because remember, there's always that lag. You get, it was actually the peak of cases 
the week before that peak in hospitalizations because you get a little five day lag or something before people go into hospital. So what we know, though, is the vaccines do reduce hospitalizations. People can go on my Twitter feed. I update the kind of the figures there. Estimated probably might go around 80 percent. So remember back in January when we had this 4000, hardly anybody had been vaccinated. So if you just do some basic math, this isn't, you know, this isn't a kind of rocket science degree right. level math. Just just kind of a bit of a news, a bit of paper and a little bit of a calculator. It's quite easy to work out to get 7,000 admissions a day now based on the current numbers. You'd need in the next month over 300,000 cases a day in England. Now, they're hovering around 20,000 a day. Uh, so where is it going to get 300,000 per day in the next month? It's just unfeasible. I just can't see how this has made itself onto the, the front of the national newspaper. Now, what's the problem with that? Most people, Mike, will not, well, hardly anybody will be reading the Sage paper. There'll be people who obviously pick up the Guardian, who'll be picking that up and stuff. Thinking, oh, we, we yeah, but I mean, even even uh, sort of journalism one hundred and one, Jamie, the beginning of the story, right? The first sentence: between two thousand and seven thousand people a day could be hospitalised with COVID in England next month. I mean, that's a big area, two thousand or seven thousand. So it could be three times bigger than they're saying, uh, or more <laughs> than three times bigger, uh, or it might not be anything at all. I mean, it's not even a story. No, exactly that, Mike. And and all obviously all this is stemming from the government's winter plan. And obviously there's a lot of things we could probably talk about today. So I've actually read the winter plan. I've spent a little time looking at it. And I suppose the one thing for me, because plan A, just for, for the kind of the viewers and the listeners, is carry on as we are with what we currently go. Well, we have the boosters for the over 50s and we'll vaccinate children. And so and then it, it goes on in paragraph 71, Mike. And this is the kind of the critical number, the critical paragraph. It says if plan A is not uh, sufficient to prevent unsustainable pressure on the NHS and further measures are uh, then further measures will be required so that's not the government's preferred outcome but it's a plausible outcome that must be prepared for so if we go back a few years like a lot of people can't remember pre-covid or pre-brexit you go back to winter 2018 yeah. BBC headline tens of thousands of non-urgent NHS operations and procedure in England may be deferred due to winter pressures uh, the Guardian was talking about the same time the, the year after that thousands of NHS staff have quit because of Brexit. Every single year, the NHS has unsustainable pressure that it cannot cope with. So when it says in this winter plan, if we get to that point, we may have to bring in plan B, which is things such as vaccine passports, masks, uh, people working from home. It's inevitable, Mike. I can't see how you're not going to have a, a winter where the NHS can't cope. Well, it seems as though they haven't had a winter where they can cope for about 20 or 30 years, but except for the fact that they always do cope. They always manage it. I mean, we were told that uh, the NHS was going to be overwhelmed in January, which was, at, as you've pointed out, the height of the pandemic. And it never was overwhelmed. We got through that, Mike. Yeah, and actually, if I, I tracked the numbers there, and we actually saw more people in hospital after January when you look at all causes, not just people in hospital with COVID, in the spring, because as, as we've discussed in the past, there is that significant number of people who aren't coming forward or haven't come forward over the last year that started coming forward. And we've already, in you know, I, I see the, the, the news quite closely in Wales. I'm sure it's the same in England. We've already got health boards cancelling operations, saying to people, don't come to accident and emergency unless it's an emergency. Well, I'm sure people aren't just rocking up. But then it all brings back in the problems about people go to see their, can't get to see their GP. So they're going to the NHS with regards to that. So, so for me, Mike, uh, we we talked about, or Boris has been talking about, and Sajid Javid about vaccine passports this week as well. Mm. I think there's some tactics going on here. You know, I've worked within kind of the civil service and the government, and 
they, they kind of said, well, we're not going to bring it in, but we'll reserve the right to do it. I can just imagine there'll be a press conference in about six or seven weeks' time. Cases may start rising as because when people mix more indoors, as the weather gets a bit colder, the cases probably will rise, I would imagine, Mike. And they'll probably then say, oh, well, to avoid a national lockdown, we're going to be really nice to you by only bringing in vaccine passports. Yes. And it's going to be seen as a kind of a, 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 a kind of a. But the trouble is, of... for me, Jamie, there seems to be a kind of um, corresponding and completely diametrically opposed narrative going on, or two different narratives. One is um, that we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible. The second one is um, that we need to vaccinate children in order to get more people vaccinated. The third one uh, is, unfortunately, the vaccinations aren't enough. So we need to actually get um, you to. Stay home as well if you can. Uh, wear a mask if you can, because the vaccines are not enough. And then you'll have to get a third booster vaccine as well. You know, they, they all the same. All of those things can't be right. They don't. They don't meld with one another. No, and the, and the data, Mike. Now, we, we, because the vaccine rollout probably started ramping up at the start of the year. There were the trials to look at how effective the vaccines are, and we got real data now. So we, it's quite clear when you look at the data that it's reducing hospitalizations in relation to cases by about eighty percent. It's reducing deaths by about ninety percent. They've been creeping up, but you know, cases have been quite high through the summer because mm. of this Delta variant. So the vaccines are working, and but to get these extreme numbers, which will mean that we're going to get perhaps new restrictions coming would suggest that the vaccines won't work well you can't have both sides of the coin mike you no. know we, we, we remember we were told get the vaccine rollout to the vulnerable you know and, you, and you've talked about this in the past then you got roll out and roll out and then let's look at the children thing then mike so i i there's going to be a lot of parents out there thinking you know should i get my child vaccinated or not so i've been looking at the data on this so if we look at people who are aged up to 15 looking at the ons the most serious outcome obviously is a sad death We've had 19 deaths among children linked to COVID over the course of the pandemics. That's 19, 19. But 19 overall. But the majority of those, Mike, sadly, uh, they are sad deaths will be linked to pre-existing medical conditions. Mm -hmm. Now, we're already vaccinating children with regards to that. Now, that 19 deaths, let's put that into context. So the 19 deaths is out of a total number of 145,000. Yeah. So it's 0.01%. And then some people forget sometimes, especially among elderly people, sadly, people die every single day. So of the 19 deaths that we've seen since the start of the pandemic, there's sadly been 4,800 children who have died of mm. other causes since the start of the pandemic. So right. from, a, from a serious outcome perspective, it's very low risk. Now, what people then start throwing in, Mike, is long COVID. So we've had a recent study that's kind of suggested that long COVID is not as bad as what it was kind of thought of well, in the past. Well, long COVID so. has not even been properly defined, has it? Because um, apparently if you are, say, for example, um, somebody who's had COVID and it's three months later since you recovered, but you still don't quite have all of your taste and smell sensations back, you're suffering from long COVID, which might not be an issue for you as a health problem at all. And this is where the problem comes in, Mike, because the study that looked at kind of long COVID, it was tracking kind of children... Uh, and looking at them three months later yeah. and just looking at the symptoms. And, and the, one of the issues for long COVID, Mike, is there's so many symptoms. It's easy to com, com, kind of confuse long COVID with, say, mental health issues because there's a lot of commonality, fatigue, you know, muscle aches and pains. There's a lot of cross overlap between them. 
Right. Now, what the study came up with is they said that potentially between 2 and 14% of people in the study had symptoms three months later. Ministers are going around now saying, and, and people who are obviously a big kind of fan of trying to vaccinate children and just trying to kind of have more lockdowns are saying that one in seven children will get long COVID. They don't say that was a study three months later. They, they kind of suggest in the mm. way the narrative is told that if long COVID's for life. Well, I don't think that's the case. And the reason they say between 2 and 14%, Mike, is... It could be as, as low as one in 50, because, for example, if he was in the study and you had no symptoms, you probably the, the response rate was quite low. So they probably dropped out of the study. But the, the problem, more, it seems to me, Jamie, in our current climate is that basically people issue these uh, headline figures, you know, like one in seven children are suffering from long COVID as if it's true. But it's not true. And they can't prove no. that it's true either. Exactly that, Mike. And say it could have been as low as one in 50, but people will jump on the highest number, yeah. a bit like this 7,000 hospitalizations a day, which is sensational. And, but the, I think the most important thing, Mike, is the same study tracked children who didn't test positive for COVID. And many of those children had symptoms as well because they are just general in the population. Mm. So you can't say that this is long COVID. Yet they tested positive for COVID, they got symptoms. But many children who never tested positive didn't have that so so in terms of risks of death mike it's very low in terms of risk from long covid it looks relatively low as well and then it comes into okay the the jcbi have said the medical benefits didn't outweigh kind of the risks so the parents have then been told that the chief medical officers are going to advise on this so what have they done mike they've looked at the educational aspect now this is the critical quote i think from one of the articles that i read on this is that they said it was not possible to quantify with any confidence uh, to what extent vaccinating children would reduce school disruption. Mm. So there's no evidence on that outside of things. And then they've thrown mental health in. Now, for me, if you're a child and say your parent wants you to be vaccinated and you don't, or vice versa, your parent doesn't want you to be vaccinated and you do, and all the peer pressure with children, that's going to have a huge impact on, on mm. mental health of children as well. So so why put all that extra burden on things yes. when it doesn't seem to be strong evidence? I, I think it? a lot of people are going to find out that that was a step too far because I was listening um, to uh, one of the union leaders talking to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning about the school situation. And schools are basically taking the view, as far as he was concerned, that they are not doing what they were doing before with the testing regime, which is that the school was kind of a, actively helping kids to take tests and actively encouraging kids to take tests. This time, with the vaccines, they're going to be saying, we're basically giving a haul to the people who are coming down from the NHS to vaccinate children if the children want to be vaccinated, but they're not going to be allowing them to do something against their parents' wishes, and they're certainly not going to be encouraging children to get vaccinated. So I think this is a very different situation. It might backfire uh, on Mr Whitty, who's ashamed, apparently, of uh, people who uh, are going around peddling myths like Nicki Minaj. He says she should be ashamed of herself, but he's not ashamed to go against the policy of the JCVI, which is not to vaccinate children. Exactly that, Mike. And and what I don't understand with this kind of policy, and now in Scotland, they've said they're going to get children to vaccinate in the community. In Wales, they've said majority of it will be in the community. Some will be in schools. I personally think, Mike, and I think you've been talking about this on the show, there's no reason to go into schools because that adds that extra pressure because right. it might be, oh, little Johnny, my mate's not having the vaccine. And and it might feel then, oh, maybe the parents have not the vaccine or not. And I don't think you can flink that 
that parents who don't want their child to have a vaccine haven't had the vaccine themselves. These are two entirely different Absolutely things. Absolutely right. And I profile. mean, we heard from a caller yesterday who rang in from Bristol to say that her son's at an FE college and he uh, was sitting in the canteen and this nurse appeared out of nowhere, going around all the tables asking kids if they wanted to be vaccinated. And that is definitely a breach, I would say, of somebody's privacy. It's a breach of uh, any kind of data protection rules that you want to think about. It's certainly a breach uh, of what the school should be allowing to happen. Yeah, and it's not on, Mike. And, and I suppose, you know, some people will say that parents who don't want their children to be vaccinated are anti-vaxxers. That's not the case. You yeah. know, there's, the vaccines clearly do work when you're looking at the, the broader data for the general population, in particular the elderly people. But there's lim- limited evidence for children. And the more important distinction here, Mike, is that, you know, they get vaccinated for the flu. We do know that the flu is more deadly for children than COVID ever has been mm. since the start of the pandemic. So there's a rationale for doing that. The flu vaccine, yes, but maybe the COVID vaccine. I know parents who want the vaccine. I know parents who don't want the vaccine. I think going into schools and doing it just adds that extra pressure. And it also means that the parents are probably not going to be there. If the parent goes with the child to a community area, that's more or better to do it. And and the more important thing, Mike, is cases have been relatively high in children Mm. since the start of the pandemic. So if you really want to roll this out and get informed consent properly, why don't they test the child first for antibodies? If they've already got antibodies, great, don't need the vaccine, do that first. And then if they haven't, have the discussion with the parent and the child if you think yeah. it's good. And listen, if, if some parent wants to get their child vaccinated, I can't understand why you would, but if that's what you want to do, then take them along uh, to a vaccination centre and get them vaccinated. But I mean, I'm not doing that. And I really don't want people in my, my children's school pushing the vaccination. Indeed, exactly that, especially when, as we just, as I just said, there will be many children have already got antibodies because infection rates have been quite high most children though it's difficult to get exact numbers on this because one of the things you a lot of children won't know they've ever had covid because Mm. they don't show the symptoms which is one of the kind of the positive things of this whole mess of the pandemic since last march is that whilst it infects children very few of them show any symptoms which means, that, and then very few of them, you know, practically zero, end up dying no, from the virus. No, and hardly yeah. any of them get particularly ill either. Stay with us, Jamie, for a second. We want to ask you a few more questions about some of this stuff. Jamie Jenkins here debunking this rubbish on the front page of The Guardian. A lot of people urging me to tear it up. Hmm, maybe. We'll see. Uh, 7,000 cases a day in hospital. It's just not true. It's just not true. This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I was listening to an interview, uh, Jamie, I'm talking to Jamie Jenkins here, independent statistician, former, formerly from the ONS. I was listening to an interview this morning with a social psychologist who, first of all, uh, made the first mistake by claiming to be a scientist and saying that, you know, he knew what best the government should be doing in order to make sure that we don't have a repetition of last year. And as you said, you know, the circumstances this year are completely different. You know, this time last year, uh, there was a lot of people who thought that COVID had disappeared because it apparently had um but hardly anybody was vaccinated in fact nobody was vaccinated at this point last year now with all these people being vaccinated and as you say people with 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 uh, immunity as well because they've had covid i mean it's 90 odd percent isn't it of the country 
who we believe have got some kind of antibodies against this virus. And so the idea that we have to somehow start making restrictions, and you notice they've started using the word restrictions rather than any other word because it sounds like it's less bad. Um, you know, where they're telling people to work from home if they can and wear masks if they can. You know, somebody pointed out today, um, there's going to be Prime Minister's questions. The, the, the government's official line is that you should wear a mask in a crowded indoor place if you can. None of them are going to be wearing masks today in Prime Minister's questions on the Tory side, just on the Labour side. So it's got nothing to do with health, has it? No, Mike. So masks, let's, 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 the, the, the evidence on masks is pretty limited mm. now. Obviously, for some people, they want to wear a mask. They feel protected. That'll be good for their mental health. Others don't want to wear a mask. And, and if you look at the data, Mike, so England's cases peaked this summer on July the 16th. Now, miraculously, that was three days before kind of the delayed Freedom Day. Yeah. Now, in yeah. Wales and Scotland, they've been rising. They're starting now some kind of green shoots, I suppose, of recovery. They're starting in the last few days to show signs of coming down in both Wales and Scotland, mm. which starts putting in some kind of context are the schools actually this big problem that we thought they were in the past but in england cases have been relatively flat in scotland and wales they've been going up masks are more mandated in scotland and wales so you know we've got to look at the data across these different countries before jumping down that road and then i think robert peston yesterday was talking about masks now the prime minister's position on this is if you're in a, in a room with people you don't normally mix with wear a mask well robert peston's asking for masks he wasn't wearing one yesterday so, <laughs> so i mean it's you know, pathetic it's, isn't it it is. It's just bonkers, Mike. So you're right. It's over 90 percent. Actually, you've got antibodies and, and people are saying that we're in a much worse place than we are this time last year, which is why they're really worried about the winter. Now, remember, these respiratory viruses, we they they kind of they, they go around and spread. They're more likely to spread in this winter. You know, COVID shouldn't become more deadlier as a virus itself with no. the current variant that we've got in the winter than what it is now. It's just that those respiratory viruses like the flu and, and COVID, they're more likely to spread during the winter months, partly just to do with the fact that we mix indoors more and, and not outdoors mm. more. So, and we, and so cases have been really high, but with the, the chances of reinfection are relatively low as well. And we've got these huge amount of antibodies. So you, you bang on the money there, Mike. We're in a totally different place to where we were this time last year. We were going into kind of a winter. Where, and another thing that people doesn't get talked about as well is that, you know, you, you look at global pandemics from like 100 years ago. We had the big kind of flu epidemic about 100 years ago. Even without a vaccine there, these va these kind of pandemics, they do have waves. They kind of spike off. And then when a lot of immunity comes into the population, they slowly diminish and, and die off over time. So so we're in a much better place vaccine wise. And I just think the default of let's bring in restrictions if we have the NHS overrun, it, you know, it's like saying is the sky blue. There's going the NHS will be overrun in terms of what the NHS is now. Yeah, but the reason overrun. the NHS gets itself into problems is because the NHS is badly run, badly managed. They've sent loads of people home because they say they've been in contact with somebody with COVID. It's still the biggest and most dangerous place to catch COVID is inside any hospital in this country. You know, not in a pub, not in a restaurant, not a football match, in a hospital because they can't even control their own germ factory. So, you know, what hope is there for the rest of us? No, exactly that, Mike. And if you look between 2010 and 20, kind of going into the pandemic, 17,000 fewer beds in England. We've got far fewer beds per person than places like France and Germany. In particular, ICU beds is going to be the critical one they're going to talk about this winter. So you can't miraculously make doctors and nurses overnight, but we've gone decades now of under kind of preparing the NHS 
you know, maybe I don't think money's specifically the issue here. It's no, kind of the it management and the policy of things because it already sucks up a lot of money. The NHS, Mike, and you know, just throwing more money. They're, they're, they're raising national insurance to look at doing that. Is that going to fix the problem? You know, I, I think I've spoken before and said, you know, you need a root and branch review of all of this because of it's just it's just it sucks a lot of money in, Mike, and I just think it's inevitable that they're going to use. Oh, the NHS, we've got more and more patients going in now, which we really expect to have, that we're going to bring in vaccine passports, masks, work from home. They say they plan B, they're not what they want. I think it's inevitable, Mike. Well, the thing is, they've already got situations in some parts of the country where hospitals are saying they're going to suspend operations uh, because more people are going in and out of the hospital with COVID. Well, why don't they just fix the problem of spreading the COVID in the hospital? Then you can get on with the business of actually helping people, making people better and giving people the operations they've been waiting around for for months and months and sometimes years. Well, in, in Wales, Mike, uh, some of my local hospitals, they've stopped patients uh, being visited by kind of their family now because of just the body. And you could argue that's not a bad thing if mm. it does reduce the risk of people from the community coming in and spreading it. But a remarkable story, uh, I don't know if it was kind of political point scoring or kind of a, a, kind of a gesture, was in Wales, um, they donated a load of PP that was unneeded about a month ago mm. to uh, some foreign countries because they said it's unneeded. Well, We've got this global pandemic. How can PPE not be needed when we're telling, you know, patients can't have visitors coming in? We're seeing rises in cases in hospital. It just seems the the kind of the, the way things are being managed and what's actually happening in the real world are two different things, Mike. And yeah. then this week, just uh, Mark Drakeford is going to announce in Wales if he's going to return to any further restrictions. He hasn't ruled out vaccine passports or not. I can't see him doing that because people in Cardiff will pop to Bristol for a nightclub and I think. But yeah. it's just... The country just needs to, you know, grow up, get on with it. And some good news, Mark, let's probably end on some good news today because we've brought out doom and gloom. Is yesterday ONS figures, the number of people back on payrolls is above pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, the economy is starting to get going with yeah. Boris still allowing that. And job vacancies are record high. So, so we're starting to see some green shoots of recovery, but we don't want to damage that by going backwards and closing the economy again. Well, of course not. And we don't want to put more people out of business either. That's precisely what we don't need. Jamie, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins bringing you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the figures and about the nonsense and about the modelling that is done by these sage maniacs who just want to shut everything down constantly in one way, shape or form. Well, I'm not having it. Not this time. Not a second time around. No, thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time now, though, to catch up with Dr. Paul Stott, Head of Security and Extremism at Policy Exchange. Paul, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning, Mike. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Uh, Shemima Begin pops up once again, doing an interview this morning on Good Morning Britain. Uh, let's just have a quick look at what she had to say. No, I would not have. If ISIS was still much in power, I may have still been stuck in ISIS, I will admit that, but not because, not by choice, but, but by force, because lack of any other way of getting out, you know? I, if ISIS were to come back now, if they were to come to the gates right now and say, who wants to join us, and whoever doesn't join us will kill them, I would rather die. I would rather die than go back to ISIS. I mean, she looks like the sort of person you would see in any shopping centre in Britain wandering about buying uh, Nike caps and, you know, tank tops and whatever else. Um, what do you make of it all, Paul? 
Well, she's had a bit of a, of a remake since the 2019 interviews, if you recall, when she um, when she first returned to to public attention. Mm. I mean, seeing the the GMB interview today, it's, it's a bit like the old saying of uh, watching a dog walk on its hind legs. It, it, it's not done well, but everybody stops and stares because you're surprised to see it done at all. Yes. And I, I think we, we we need to perhaps be be pleased that back in back in March, you might remember the uh, Supreme Court took the uh, decision to allow the Home Secretary's uh, appeal against an earlier decision, which was to allow Shamima Begum to return to the UK in order to to, to appeal uh, her loss of citizenship. Mm. Um, it was correct that power uh, lies in these cases with the Home Secretary. The Home Secretary has given a, a full briefing on the security threat and uh, all of the uh, the background materials uh, about a person. And I think it's right to say no in this instance and to, and to continue saying no, regardless of you know, whether it's a Nike baseball hat or a, an Adidas one or whatever she's wearing. Yeah, or, or, or a burka. I mean, because Sajid Javid has said, if you knew what I did, you'd have done the same. And I think he's right there. He talks about how she sewed bombers into suicide vests, how she carried a Kalashnikov, how she was very much a part of the torture uh, and various different horrible um, death techniques carried out by her husband and, and his cohorts in ISIS, who he now is in a jail in, in, uh, in, uh, China, in Holland, I believe, in the Netherlands. You know, and it's all very well to say she's sorry and she made a mistake. But here we are, for example, debating whether 12 or 15 year olds can have a choice about getting a vaccine. Uh, and the people that would support her say, well, she was only 15. She didn't know what she was doing. I mean, you can't have it both ways, can you? Well, she was 15 when she went out to join uh, Islamic State, I think in uh, 2015. It's worth stressing that by that stage, the real nature of Islamic State was known to absolutely everybody who cared to look. Yeah. And indeed, some of the organisation's worst outrages occurred in 2014. Um, you know, the, the various televised executions that Mohammed Enwazi, uh, nicknamed Jihadi John, mm. um, carried out. The killing, for example, of the Manchester taxi driver, Alan Henning, who'd gone out with Muslims from Manchester to deliver charity. Um, you know, that had enormous attention, uh, both within uh, the mainstream media and uh, around Muslim groups uh, in the UK, who were uh, obviously outraged at what had happened to, to Henning. So the idea that she didn't know what she was joining in 2015 is by some distance, I think, the weakest part uh, of her case. I think she did. And indeed, she was actually following out uh, somebody, a, a girl from her school who had already gone out. If you remember, she she was a group of three that went out yeah. uh, following somebody, somebody who'd gone before from that school in uh, uh, in Bethnal Green. So I, I don't doubt that the likes of Sajid Javid when he was Home Secretary and indeed uh, Priti Patel have a bulging file on this woman. Yes, I think so. And many of her crimes, which is what they were, were committed when she was older than 15 because she didn't decide that she didn't want anything to do with them, uh, basically, until I think her husband was rounded up and taken away. So it was only really when ISIS were kind of um, uh, defeated, if you like, that she suddenly had her road to Damascus conversion, wasn't it? Indeed, and it's interesting to, to look back on the some of the early interviews she gave in, in 2019, where she's, she was still talking very much um, in, a, in, a, in a way which showed sympathy to um, Islamic State, and also she was talking very defensively, so she would come out and say about the Home Secretary, well, he's got no proof that uh, I'm a threat. You know, it was, it was quite a, a defensive 
performance, but also tied in with some awful comments about, I think, the Manchester Arena bombing, which he seemed to try to justify as a sort of tit for tat. And, you know, people were being bombed uh, by the West in, uh, in Islamic states. Well, there's an enormous difference between bombing a pop concert attended by teenage girls and, attend, uh, and bombing uh, Islamic states. And, um, you know, she should be able to see that. She's an adult. Uh, she's certainly of uh, age of, of criminal responsibility. Yes, absolutely right. Dr. Paul Stott, thank you very much indeed. Head of Security and Extremism at the Policy Exchange. I feel we'll be talking some more uh, in the coming days about this because Shemima Begum, uh, I don't think, deserves to be allowed back into this country. I don't think she is our responsibility. It is illegal to go and join a terrorist organisation. That's what she did. She says she didn't know she was joining one. Well, I don't believe that. She says that she's a changed woman. I don't believe that either. Her children died in her care because of her negligence and because of her disregard for them. She's not a woman that we need back here in the UK. Thanks very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's Wednesday. Tonya Buxton's here. Tonya, welcome. And uh, a very good morning to you. What uh, are we going to do today? Oh, I'm going to try my best not to come across as a hysterical shrill. (laughs) But if you... You never do, so don't worry. (laughs) I feel like I do sometimes. But I I can't believe what's happening in front of us at the moment. Mm. I can't believe what's going on. And then I slap myself and say, why don't you believe it? Mm. Hasn't this been going on the whole time? So, I mean, one of the things I wanted to just hold out, we keep saying, you know, the JVCI, the JVCI, but their title is the Joint Committee on vaccinations and immunisation. Yes. That is their job. Right. They are the committee, the the big power on vaccinations and immunisations. Yeah. And they have said they do not advise us to vaccinate children. Mm. And now we're vaccinating children. Yeah. So what's going on? Well, that's a very good question. My point uh, to people who argue that uh, they all, because some people sort of nitpick, and I don't know why they do, but they say, oh, they've just said it's not for their, it's not necessarily recommended for their physical health, but it might be recommended for their mental health. To which you say, well, so you're not recommending it for their physical health, then why would you do it? No, but also, for any other reason. This kind of utter, utter rubbish about their mental health. Like we know, and, and uh, we'll get on to Boris in a minute, mm. but we know, you know, I know, that lockdowns don't work. Yeah. And they've never done a kind of cross-research to show how bad lockdowns are because they want to perpetrate them. They want them to continue. But we know they well, don't they, work. Well, they only want them to continue if they can get away with doing them. But they yes. don't want to destroy business. They don't want to destroy confidence in their own party. And they don't want to lose the next election. That's the other thing. Well, you know, I, I you know, was a kind of wishy... I, I voted with the policies. So yeah. I voted Labour. I voted Lib Dems. I, I, I mm. voted Conservative. I will never vote for any of those parties again. Maybe Lib Dems yeah. on, on not having vaccine passports. But the main thing is, is they have lockdowns do not work mm. they do not work they ha- they've actually caused i know because you as you know when i go to these protests some of the women that i work i walk with and, and march with are women whose children have committed suicide mm. 
during lockdown. Yes. So don't tell me they give a damn about children. Right. Okay, they didn't give a damn when they were shutting playgrounds. They didn't give a damn when they were shutting schools. Mm. They didn't give a damn when they shut places that they could exercise and yeah. at least get their energy out. Because one of the most important things, especially for child mental health, is to exercise. Yeah. You know, you we know that if you're depressed, the best thing you can do is go for a walk, be yes. one with nature, or go and go and be with other people, mm. go to a dance class, go to a do something yes. and they shut all of this down yes. so and also they didn't care about their mental health when no. they had 104 days of school closures last year that's what i'm saying they 104 did not, exactly. days and there was no reason to shut the schools no i mean i know we're not allowed to talk about sweden but look what's going on there you can talk about sweden I mean, on this show but i you know what makes me really sad mike is that on this show i i feel sane and when i listen to talk radio i feel sanity and i and i think why and the voices that are on this show why are we not getting out to mm. mainstream media all the doctors and virologists and immunologists and barristers and parents that you have on this show do not get to speak in mainstream media mm. we don't get to have our comments in the in the newspapers mm. and that really worries me yeah because they're not getting to hear another side all you're getting is this constant and utter fear narrative yes well you only got to see the briefing yesterday you know robert peston asking a question about whether whether people should be told to wear masks while not wearing a mask in an enclosed oh, yes, space. But that doesn't count for Robert, dear Mike. Of course Don't not. You know that. Politicians, journalists, super rich, that none of that. Covid doesn't go near them. Mm. It's a completely different thing. And the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. Yeah. I mean, he's a is, guy, right? Is killing me. He's a guy who's had Covid after being vaccinated twice. Now, you would think, now, if I was him, I would be asking that question to the Prime Minister. How is it possible that I got COVID after being double vaccinated? And why are you not telling people that the vaccination either doesn't work or does work, but it doesn't stop you getting a disease? I think my greatest disappointment in the past 18 months, initially I thought it was our government and those that rule and the fact that we have no opposition. But actually my greatest disappointment is in the journalists of mm. the free press, allegedly free press. Because I, I sit listening to these these question times with the Prime Minister when they come out to Chris Whitty and to all of them and not one single question is ever asked that no. I would want to ask and exactly that question is you know we are in a situation now where we've everybody's been vaccinated who wants to be vaccinated we have a huge amount of natural immunity mm. I mean and that's never mentioned that's never talked about and especially in children yeah because all all the children I know got COVID. Yeah. And well, they reckon it, something like five million children have had COVID. Yeah. So right? why are we talking about vaccinating these children mm. who have natural immunity? Yeah. And, that, and I find it even worse than I think anything else that they've proposed, including all this rubbish about, you know, the winter plan and whether we have to, you know, work from home again and all that rubbish, right? actually affecting children by jabbing them with a needle they don't need. That could, in order, in that order, could harm them. Yeah, in order to justify supposedly keeping schools open. Really? No. Is that where we are? But we know that doesn't work, no, though. Of so not. we're being lied to. And it's this it's this constant nudge. I mean, if you listen to Boris yesterday, you can see that there's a... Con the nudge that uh, Laura Dobsworth talked about in yeah. the book, State of Fear, um, where so he's, he's saying, I don't want to do this. This is what I want to do. I don't want to do it. And it's like he's laying out exactly what he is going to do. Uh. And it's this abusive relationship because in an abusive relationship, if you have a partner that hits you, mm. he doesn't hit you till you die. Right. He hits 
hits you and hits you and hits you. And then he buys you a bunch of flowers yeah. and says, says sorry. You know, and says, sorry, and here's the flowers. And then when he hits you again, he said, it was your fault. That's why I had to hit you. Yeah. I didn't want to hit you. And this is what's going on with right. our government now with and us. And they do that thing. And this is now, and I think I've said this to you before, it's now been made a crime, hasn't it? Um, coercive behaviour. Yes. So if you, if I was married to you, and I don't wish to put any thoughts in your head, <laughs> but you know, oh, if I was coercing you to do something yeah. against your will, yeah. that's a crime. It so is. how is it not a crime for the government to do it to the to the country? But it is a crime for the government to do it to the country. It is a crime. Mm. And the main the biggest crime that they will we will never ever forgive them for this. This thing about, you know, as adults, I've got a lot to say about how the government treats us, but what it's doing to our children mm. at this moment in time, history will not forget them. Boris will not go down as another Churchill. He will go down as the man who harmed children, allowed harm to happen to children. Well, can you imagine if a child is damaged? in some way permanently uh, or in some way um, physically uh, or in some way even by causing their death as a result of this. But that's what's, that's, that's the only, unfortunately, that's the only way that this government is going to sit up and take notice. It's when, it's not if, mm. it's when a child is permanently damaged. Mm. And are you going to let that be your child? It's not going to be mine because my child is not going to have it. So, and I think a lot of parents have written to their schools. And if you haven't and you want to, you should, because yeah. I think the schools are now being put on the back foot. Listening to one of the school uh, union leaders this morning on Julia's show, he said, look, this is not like being asked to put tests out there and give tests out to children to test themselves. This is going to be different. We're not going to be encouraging anybody to do anything uh, or discouraging. They said we're simply going to loan a hall to um, whoever it is that wants to come in with the vaccinations. And it's then their job to vaccinate the children. We will not take any part in it. So I think that's an interesting position for the schools to take. I think that's, that's a very good position for the schools to take. What I'd really like them to do is take that massive leap and stop all testing. Mm. Because we know, that, what does test, testing all these children that we've done through the past, yeah. God knows how long, what has that proved? What has it done exactly? Apart from get children to well, miss out Well, all it's done is health. got children to be sent home yeah, and other children who've got nothing wrong with them to be sent home as well and for some schools to shut. Yeah. You know, and great. Has, and has that made a difference to... We, it's about a virus. Mm. This virus is not pandemic, it's endemic now, and we have to live with it. And I was looking at a, a clip um, in that had been was in The Guardian mm. about year on, year out, yeah. every single winter, NHS is under threat. Yes, NHS is that. going to, you know, is about to close down. Every single year mm. that's happened. And yet they've been cutting down beds. Even during this pandemic, they've been cutting beds from hospitals. Mm. So we don't have enough room. Right. So my point is, is the criminal activity of the people in the NHS and the government that funds the NHS or we that fund the NHS is why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are you spending all this money on jabbing children that don't need to be jabbed, on testing kids that don't need to be tested? Yeah. All of the money that we refusing know to do procedures which people need in order to remain alive. Absolutely, and spending that money, and we know how much do we say? There's a 320 million still going out on the fear narrative and the th fear propaganda that the government are spending on COVID press. Yeah. Why are they not putting that money if they care so much about children's mental health? Instead of jabbing them with something that they don't need and could six times more likely to do them harm. Yeah. Um, why are they not putting that money into the children's mental health? Exactly. You know, if you have a child that's suffering from mental health at the moment, you can't get help for that child. You can't get them to go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or, or, or have some kind of talking cure. There is, you, you're on a waiting list for the next how many years? I don't know. Well, this is the trouble. And also, you've got these social psychologists, right? I heard one on the radio this morning, not this radio station, another one. 
uh, talking about how, well, we're scientists and we know best. And it was basically that was the kind of narrative that this guy was giving out. First of all, you're a social psychologist. That doesn't make you a scientist, no. right? That just makes you a weirdo who likes to influence the way people behave. And it also means that you think that we should be doing something because you think it's a good idea. He was saying people should be allowed to work from home if they wish. London is now suddenly coming back to life. The economy is starting to pick up again. Yeah. You know, you're in the restaurant business. Yeah. You're in the hospitality business. You know, you can't say to people, oh, we'll just decide on a week to week basis if we're going to just shut everything down again. I was speaking to some young kids. Um, so my daughters are 23 and 25. Mm. And I was talking to uh, they had some friends around and we they were just saying how depressed they were from working at home and yeah. how low they got and you know pretty much all of them had put on weight yeah. as well and um, and how they were feeling such relief now that they were going into offices and one of them was saying that she's got she got a promotion at work and she's got these people working underneath her and she's never physically yeah. been in the same room as them right. and she cannot wait to get back to work absolutely so if you care about the mental health of people yeah. get them back into get work back get into them socialising get them mixing but talking about weirdos I want to just quote what this weirdo said sorry yeah. um, so this is Chris Whitty oh, yeah. and this is the man that's telling us to jab our children who's got no children yeah. who is I mean, and I know that some he, people would say that's unfair to criticise him for that, but it's not unfair. It's not unfair because he does not know what it's like to be a parent. He has no idea what it's like to be a parent, and he should not be commenting. But this is one of the things, this nudge thing, mm. that's causing such polemic reactions in our society. He said the continuing, uh, continuing to wear a mask is common courtesy. England's chief medical officer said. Oh yeah, that's what Chris Whitty really? said. So we, you and I, know that there's no science when it comes right. to masks. It doesn't work. Rubbish. But he wants you to wear it as a common courtesy. Right. So I'm not a courteous person. I don't have common courtesy. Yeah. So absolutely, categorically, my mental health mm. will not take me wearing a mask. Yes. I cannot muzzle myself yes. for something I know doesn't work just to suit somebody's virtue signaling. Right. I just can't do it. But amazingly, it's not um, in any way discourteous to stick a needle in your child's arm no that's fine no, that's you fine. can do that that's fine as long Absolutely. as you're wearing a mask as long as you Mike I've got to tell you something happened to me yesterday mm. I'm on a lighter note because yes. I feel that I come in and I rant and I rave but yesterday whilst flossing my teeth mm. my tooth fell out oh this tooth fell out really because it's a cap and it's an uh, you know it's old yes and it fell out right so I'm very luckily managed to get an emergency appointment at the dentist and he stuck it back in again I presume that wasn't an NHS dentist was it uh, no it wasn't no, an NHS dentist because you wouldn't have got one of those I, I wouldn't have I went to the NHS those. to get my teeth fixed and they said you should go private yeah, I mean, listen, if I'm lucky enough to be able to afford to pay for for private, I don't want to put any mm. pressure on the NHS. That's why I exercise and I diet and mm. I do all the things that I do, so I don't put pressure on the NHS. Yeah. That is something that's never discussed How very anymore. courteous of you. Thank you. Anyway, so um, I, this tooth fell out. Yeah. And I looked very odd, <laughs> very frighteningly odd. So I, I had to get the tube to the dentist. Yes. And I had some woman really scowling at me right. for not wearing a mask so I smiled at her my toothless grin <laughs> oh well you because I look frightening you've never seen anyone look down and not look again at me That's so I great. was grinning away at all these people with this toothless grin made me look completely insane That's funny. I actually think I might want to take it out so I can just travel on the tube and smile yeah. at people in that way it yeah. soon shuts because them up. how dare they scowl at you anyway I mean, you know I mean, it's just ridiculous. But how about this for a story? And I tweeted this out last night and again today. A story from Mail Online about a woman who's 27 years of age died from liver cancer because GPs failed to spot the tumour that she had for five months. Do you know why? Because they refused to see her in person. So Mike. all they would do was talk to her on virtual appointments and now she's dead. Mike, you know as well as I do 
that that situation is not rare. It's again and again. And exactly. I personally am in that situation because actually my mother-in-law, if you're listening now, hello, Sophie, she's back in hospital, unfortunately. But she, her cancer got to stage four yeah. because her GP wouldn't see her, kept talking to her over the phone saying things like, what's your colour like? She mm. says, what do you mean what's my colour yeah. like? You know, I'm completely bloated. There's right. something wrong. She says, oh, you've got indigestion. And even when she went into hospital, they sent her home with paracetamol. Yeah. And it's only when I started tweeting and really started going mad mm. because I've got a bit of a voice, they yeah. started fucking up. She was stage four cancer. Unbelievable. We this are, is what happened to this girl. We are past the other end now and hopefully she's coming through. But that girl, 27, no one cares about that. It, it seems like when you talk to people about death, mm. they only care about old people with COVID death. They don't seem to care about a 27 year old young woman who had her whole life in front of her. Yeah. What about life in years yeah. that this poor woman has lost yes. because she couldn't see a doctor? And you don't get that back. But also the time that she spent not feeling well because you know people are now, I mean I practically every day somebody calls me with a tale of woe about how it's taken months and months and months yeah. to finally get the diagnosis that they could have had when they, if they'd gone into a surgery to see a doctor. And, you know, people feeling unwell, I mean, you know as well as I do, you know, when you're when you're well and everything's fine, you're the happy happiest person in the world. Yeah. But when you get sick, you don't care about anything else except just getting better. Absolutely. You just don't, you don't want to feel unwell. But one of the main things that kind of blows my mind is the fact that I know um, of one person who's died of COVID. He had lots and lots of comorbidities. He was a very unwell man. He was mm. a very large man and yeah. a very lovely man. And I'm very sad that he's gone. Right. But I think he was going to depart this mortal coil yes. within a year anyway. Mm. So that's one person I know of COVID. But I know countless people who have died because of lockdown. Right. My friend's young husband, so children of similar age to mine, so she's got a 23-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son, have mm. lost their dad f through bowel cancer yeah. during lockdown where his tummy was upset and he thought, I'm not going to go. Mm. Well, well, you know, He called the doctor a couple of times. He said, oh, it's probably stress and yeah. probably irritable bowel, whatever. And by the time he got to see a doctor, he is now dead. He's mm. gone. Yeah. He's gone. His children will not. Because will not timing is everything on this. The things. timing is everything on this. But, you know, when you sit down, he won't see his children get married. He won't see them grow up. He won't see all of this. And this was caused because of lockdown. Mm. Now, I know many, many cases like that. When are we going to start manning up and talking about what's happening? So to have Boris stand there and say, well, I might have to do another mm. lockdown. No. I'm not locking down no, again. I don't and think I, people I will, will kick down the GP's yeah. door if I need to go. And I don't see think him. people will, but still people are not able to see their GPs, even now. Yeah. And already, and I was passed a message from, I can't remember exactly which health authority, but it was either Nottingham or Northampton, I think one of those two, uh, already putting out a sign saying, you know, we are now suspending uh, any operations uh, we were going to do because COVID has caused more patients to be admitted to hospital. And you just think, what have you learned from last year? Have Nothing. you learned anything? Nothing. Because what they haven't learned, I said this to Jamie Jenkins, there's still by far and away the most uh, likely place for you to catch COVID is in hospital, yeah. right? No, yeah. Not in a restaurant, not no. in one of your uh, houses, nope. not in a bar, you know, not at the Tower of London, not at the in cinema, a hospital, not at the theater. right? Yep. And certainly not in a school, yeah. right, where you might get a dose of something, but you'll be fine. You know, Jamie told me 19 children have died in the last 18 months. But they had right? comorbidities But they well. probably had comorbidities as well. So, yeah. But even so, even if they didn't, 19 is a tiny number of people. 10,000 people a week die in this country. 
right? And all we hear about is, oh, you know, there's another 50 people have died of COVID. I heard a Labour MP the other day talking about how a thousand people had died last week from COVID. It's still killing lots of people. Well, what about the other 9,000 people who died? Thank you. Exactly. What about them? What about them? And Who's going to speak for them? And also, I don't. I I stopped believing the figures. I stopped believing them a long time mm. ago because people didn't die of COVID. They died with COVID. Mm. So you know, they're you know, they've, they've had a heart attack. They're dead, and, and they've died of with COVID. Yeah. They're not saying they died of a, a heart failure. They, they died of COVID. Yeah. So the lies that continue, these figures that this modelling that they mm. constantly do that's constantly wrong. Yeah. So this is part of the nudge thing. That's part. So they go up on mainstream media on the BBC yes. and tell us lies. They yeah. tell us numbers that are lies. Well, None of their figures. Here, yeah. Right? This nonsense Read here. that out. People have been urging me to rip this up. But yeah. you know, I'm just not even worth ripping it up. That's how bad it is. I'm actually not going to rip it up because I don't want to give them the attention. But even at the peak... This is their first sentence. Between 2,000 and 7,000 people could be admitted to hospital. So that means... Basically, you don't know. You don't know. You're you thinking no you're making idea. up enough. Why don't yeah. you just say 20,000? Why don't yeah. you say 100,000? Why don't yeah. you say a million? Why don't you just say a million people a day are going to be admitted to hospital if we but don't the, lock down? But the point is, is that we've had 18 months of fear, 18 months of this could happen, and it's seeping into people's subconscious and it's ruining their lives. Mm. You know, when you walk past people and, and, and just sneeze or anything, you yeah. know, they're jumping out, you know, for young, healthy people. Like, yeah. Oh my God, get away from me. And you're like, you're young, you're yeah. healthy. You've probably had COVID already. You're full of antibodies. Yeah. Why? What is happening? And this is what Marc Antonio mm-hmm. Spada, Professor Marc Antonio Spada was talking about. COVID anxiety syndrome is massive right. in what Britain. About, what about Scandinavia? You know, we talk about Sweden and people go, oh, you can't talk about Sweden. What about Denmark, where, where they have now declared it's not to be a dangerous disease anymore? That's yes. official. And they're right. So how can they be wrong and we can't be, you know, I don't understand. Well, I think there's that Valance and Witty, they're not going to, listen, they're, they're kind of unusual, odd little men and they're mm. not going to give up their limelight. No. So they're going to keep this near narrative up. I don't know what the Conservatives and Boris is playing at. Yeah. I don't know why they want to keep this narrative mm. up. You know, I've actually started to think, uh, question myself as to, are they just bungling idiots or mm. have they got this all planned? Because if you, if you look at, state of fear and the nudge narrative this is what boris has just done is another nudge narrative well, i don't want to do anything like mm. this i don't i want to keep things mm. open you know the vaccination rollout why does he never talk about natural immunity i don't know why does he never talk about why are we not testing people for their antibodies before you start jabbing them yeah why not test them for antibodies well listen when i get a government minister on this show they don't come on very often that's the question i'm going to ask them because uh, it is time and also, don't you love the fact that old Van Tam gets up and says, well, of course, we're following the science on the booster jab because the JCVI recommends that we do it. Oh. And I'm going, when you're not you. really saying that, are you? Yeah. Without any irony, having said that you're not taking their advice on the kids. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's, it's, so that's why nobody has any trust in them. I, I keep saying this, I say this every week to you, I want a vote of no confidence for these people mm. that are leading us. I don't, I have no confidence in, in their guidance. Mm. And this latest thing with jabbing children um, has just taken me off the cliff. Yeah. I, they've had advice to say, don't do it. Again, let's read out the proper title. The Joint Committee of Vaccination and Immunisation. So they are the highest body in Britain mm. about vaccinations and immunisations. Have said don't. Yes. It's not advisable. Mm. And yet, Boris and witty yeah. and his little band of weirdos have decided no no we are going to jam mm, children I for know. their mental health shocking 
Listen, we're out of time. You oh. should talk to Marcus Fish because I had him on the show on Monday. I MP will. Marcus Fish from Yeovil. Um, he wants uh, to push for the resignation of Chris Whitty. And I think you guys would make a great team. I'll try with And I'll him. join up with you as well. Tony Buxton, as ever, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let's have a chat, shall we, about Nicki Minaj. Now, I'm a bit like Boris Johnson when it comes to Nicki Minaj. I don't know too much about Nicki Minaj. I do know uh, that she makes some rather ridiculous-looking videos. I do know that she does uh, have a very large following on Twitter, 22 million to be precise. And I also know uh, that she does a very good impersonation of an English accent because we heard her uh, saying that Boris Johnson had dissed her uh, and she claimed that she went to university in Oxford. She said that obviously she was born in England uh, and that she went to school with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, all very funny stuff. Uh, Poor old Chris Whitty, of course, uh, was the butt of the joke because Chris Whitty was asked about Nicki Minaj, uh, which is probably the least important question that he needs to be asked at this moment in time. But Nicki Minaj, you'd have to say is a bit of a numpty. After all, when you've got 22 million followers, there are certain things that you can do, and there are certain things that you shouldn't probably do. If I was giving advice to people on whether or not they should get a vaccination, I would think rather carefully about what advice that was. I don't give advice out on whether you should get a vaccination. I tell you to make up your own mind. She claims that she's got a cousin in Trinidad who's got a swollen testicle. Now, it may well be that there is such a cousin in Trinidad with a swollen testicle, or it may not be. But she makes out that this cousin had such a problem with his testicle that he became impotent and could not then get married and had to cancel his wedding. It all sounds a little bit fanciful to me, and it looks like a bit of attention-seeking, doesn't it? And I wouldn't have thought that that's going to be very helpful to anybody. So regardless of what we think of Chris Whitty, and regardless of what we think of his mistaken idea that vaccinating children is a great idea... I do think that when you're backing Nicki Minaj against Chris Whitty, you might be barking up the wrong tree. So on this occasion, I'm going to say uh, Nicki Minaj should really button it and stop trying to influence people as to what they do about getting vaccinated. It's entirely their affair. And they don't need to hear stories about cousins who may or may not exist, who may or may not have swollen testicles, who may or may not be impotent, and who may or may not have had to cancel their weddings. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I thought you would. Common sense. That's all we require. We don't need maniacs saying things which may or may not be untrue. Let's talk now, though, to Stephen Jackson, because jabbing people has become the new normal, because we now want to jab 12 and 15-year-olds. We now want to jab care home workers. We now want to jab everybody who works in the NHS. Stephen Jackson is a solicitor uh, for the claimants in the legal challenge against mandatory jabs for care home workers. And he's also the founder of a website called laworfiction.com. Let's find out what's going on. Stephen, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, A lot of people seem to think it's a great idea to uh, make it mandatory for people who work in care homes to be vaccinated. Uh, But as you probably heard from my general um, meanderings there, I mean, I'm very much a libertarian when it comes to these things, and I don't think you should be mandating anyone to have a vaccination for any reason. So what's uh, what's your story? Well, um, up until now, we still stay continuing. The law doesn't think it's a good idea either to have mm. mandatory vaccination of anyone. Um, we've had uh, Council of Europe make statements very plain to that effect, which is you should not be coercing anyone to have a vaccination. The very simple premise is that uh, it is right to bodily integrity for everyone without exception. 
and that is an individual right. You don't lay your body down on the line in order for some imagined perceived benefit for the wider community. That's a basic principle of law, and um, which underpins the case we're, we're bringing. But so just explain a little bit about the case we are bringing, which we've issued the proceedings uh, against the Secretary of State, and we are seeking to quash the regulations which will bring in these mandatory vaccinations for care workers. Right. And um, and, and what will be the way that that kind of um, develops, as it were? Because I know or from, from certainly anecdotal information that quite a few care home workers are already leaving the businesses that they're in in order to go and work in the NHS, uh, who are now also supposedly saying that they want them vaccinated. Well, although it feels for all care workers as though it's been going for a long time, and it has, uh, this also moves very, very quickly. Um, we issued the proceedings um, just last, last week, and we anticipate and we're seeking a hearing with the government uh, by the, well, in October. That's going to be past the mid-September point when... Uh, care homes are saying to the staff, you've got to have your first dose in order to have you be fully dosed up by the 11th of November. But in the meanwhile, those workers need to be saying to their employers, um, hold your horses, because there are judicial review proceedings in place. And if those are successful, and there's a darn good chance that the application will be successful, then these regulations will be rendered null and void. That's what we're seeking. Right. And so dismissals that have come about in the meanwhile will be subject to legal challenge by those individuals and care homes could well find themselves subject to unfair dismissal claims, breach of contract claims, discrimination complaints, and um, they'll be having to spend an awful lot of money on the lawyers to try and find a defence. Yes. Those regulations were always unlawful. An awful, an awful lot of um, care home workers, of course, are not particularly well paid. Have they got contracts, most of them, that can be fought uh, and defended in court? Uh, you're quite right. This is a, a big problem and something which the government has taken advantage of. Mm. They are low paid and, this, and therefore part of the claim, by the way, is to attack it on discrimination grounds because it affects uh, a large number of uh, black Caribbean ethnic minority groups mm. who are... Uh, very well represented in this sector and so it it disproportionately affects them and it's because they're unpaid or low paid rather you have employers thinking well actually do you know what we'll just go ahead and sack them because it's not going to cost us very much mm. when we end up in a, in a tribunal and in some cases that will indeed be the case right. but it's not going to be pleasant it's going to be it's, it's pretty disgusting way to be treating your staff and i think they may still find it's going to be quite an expensive fight they find they have on their hands and if they try and make the case, and I don't know whether the care home sector is represented by a sort of umbrella organisation or whether it's going to be individual care homes just defending themselves. Um, I mean, if they make the case that it's for public health or it's for the good of the nation, which is often the argument we get from the politicians, um, what would be your answer to that? Well, there are many arguments. Firstly, as I indicated at the start, that's simply not an acceptable excuse um, because you're still looking at the individual's right to look after their own body and not be um, effectively put in a slave position mm. whereby required to have a vaccine. We're not far off that, to be frank. Mm. Um, but also, Parliament has actually um, given its decision on this before. And what the government has done, and this is perhaps right at the head of the, you know, the complaints we're making, is they have chosen to look to a 2008 Act, a Health and Social Care Act, uh, in order to give the regulations and produce this, these new rules for everyone. Mm. And they have chosen to ignore 
1984 Act, which under which they've uh, issued all the restrictions for the past 18 months, they've ignored the provision in that, which precisely says you shall not coerce people to have vaccination. So it's a bit of picking and choosing in a rather underhand way from the government. Mm. Uh, and they simply can't do that, is what, we, is what we say. Yes, which presumably would also mean that they couldn't do it for the NHS either then. Uh, if this case is successful, then its implications are very far-reaching. Yes. Not just for the NHS, uh, but also potentially for all sectors. So if you know, if this just if the no jab, no job policy cannot be justified for workers in care homes, it cannot be justified anywhere. Right. And I and I think uh, we here at Talk Radio would certainly wish you luck with it, Stephen, and we'll keep uh, tabs on it if we can and speak to you from time to time and see how it's going. Thank you, Mike. Stephen Jackson there speaking for the claimants in a legal challenge to mandatory jabs for care home workers. This is why legal challenges are important. Lawyers need to get behind people who feel as if they're being intimidated, who feel as if they are being, you know, coerced, who feel as if they are being pushed into a situation where basically uh, if they don't get a vaccination they will not have a job and I think like Stephen Jackson does that that is entirely inappropriate and entirely wrong you might have people uh, that you love in care homes you might argue that they should be vaccinated but if surely the people in those care homes are vaccinated then that's all that matters isn't it 0344 499 1000 and if you're going to be working in the NHS I don't believe you should be made to have um, a vaccination if you don't want one either because this, I tell you, is some kind of medical apartheid. It needs to be stopped. And here at Talk Radio, I will do my level best to make sure that it does stop. And it does not make you do things that you don't want to do. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.